This week's guest is Natalie Bovis. Natalie got her start in the industry while still in high school and worked every front of house position in her career. Eventually, Natalie parlayed this experience into becoming a restaurant publicist, culinary event producer, and cocktail book author. In 2015, Natalie created New Mexico's first annual mixology festival and is also a culinary producer for the James Beard Foundation's Taste America National Dinner Series. Natalie's latest book, Drinking With My Dog, the canine lover's cocktail book, came out earlier this year, and her next book, Cocktails With My Cat, Tasty Tipples for Feline Fanatics comes out next spring. Enjoy the show. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. What is going on? Uh, just hanging out, being awesome as always. Mm-hmm. Beautiful day, so I've uh, just been hanging out in the sun. Recording on uh, Canada Day weekend up here. Happy Canada Day to you. Okay, man. That's right. Happy Canada Day to you as well. I know. I feel like I had a lot to do with it. So Yeah, that's uh, true. You did. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you did. yeah. Enjoyed your weekend, though? Yeah, it was great. It didn't have to work. Yeah, so it was great. Yeah, wish I could say the same. Yeah, <laughs> how's business at the bars over the long weekend? Uh, good, good weekend at the bars. Uh, speaking of which, if you are in the Kitchener Waterloo, Cambridge region, the Tri Cities, as we like to call them, you can uh, come visit my spots. Uh, Sugar Run is the speakeasy in downtown Kitchener at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram. If you want to check out what's going on there, at Babylon Sisters Bar. Uptown Waterloo, the Wine and Spirits Bar. You want to check that out. Always lots of uh, interesting stuff, including DJ Bain every Friday night. And then the new spot is uh, Argyle Arms, at Argyle underscore Arms underscore 2023 in Preston, Cambridge area. Live music Wednesday to Saturday. So come check that out if you're in the region. If you like the podcast, that's a great way to help support the host. So mm-hmm. please do that. If you like the podcast, you can also support it directly by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. That helps us out tremendously. If you want to be a guest on the show, email us info at the industry club, or you can DM us directly at the industry podcast on Instagram, where you will find the amazing artwork from Zach Hanna at zachhanna.co. He does all the artwork for our Instagram page. He's an amazing artist. An amazing guy, and uh, you should look him up if you want to. If you have any graphic arts needs, anything else you want to chat about before we bring in our guest? No, uh, sun wiped me out today, so okay. So okay. you're going to be very helpful today. Yes. Yeah, well, okay. Great. Not uh, much different from every week. <laughs> All right, Natalie Bovis is joining us right now from New Mexico. How are you, Natalie? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. A little, little warm down here. How how warm is it where you are? Pretty hot this weekend. Yeah, yeah. it's probably yeah. around for us like th- low 30s in the Celsius. That's around probably high 80s, I think. For yeah, yeah, super humid right. too. So yeah, yeah, is it? Uh, yeah, very very humid this time of year. Yeah, in, in southwestern southwestern Ontario, you guys get the dry heat though. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. which is great. And Santa Fe is seven thousand feet high. Oh, uh, so we're way up in the mountains. So it's oh, wow. hot, but it's not disgustingly hot it's not phoenix people would think new mexico is like arizona and it's actually very different i think i also think that all the time yeah <laughs> I feel like the, maybe i think it's just because from, from breaking bad it looked very much like phoenix <laughs> there are parts. i mean yeah. southern new mexico looks more like arizona but northern new mexico looks more like colorado so, oh sure. that's nice yeah. Yeah. i hear i hear i hear colorado's nice i haven't been there yes um you guys should come down i'll show you around Okay, let's do it. I, well, what we should do is come down to this conference that we just 
discussed right before you, this trade show, right before we started recording here. So Elena Anter is a frequent guest on the show, was just at your show um, that you own in, and that's in Santa Fe, correct? Uh, yeah, well, so New Mexico Cocktails and Culture is the mixology festival that I started here in New Mexico back in 2015. And it was the state's first, it still is the state's first and only truly cocktail mixology spirits focused festival. And then, of course, you know, the stupid pandemic came along. It's, it's an annual festival, but then I kind of, you know, went offline basically for a couple of years. Right. And then this year I brought it back. And kind of rebranded it as New Mexico Cocktail Week. And oh, so, nice. That um, sounds like a lot more work. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, so now it encompasses the whole state. Mm. Um, and so, so the week part, I actually collaborate with a friend of mine who owns Edible New Mexico Magazine. Oh. And so they, you know, I, I've been doing my festival for years. They've been coming to my festival for years. They have this culinary-focused magazine, and they, you know, do events sometimes as well. So we decided this post-pandemic version is New Mexico Cocktail Week that we collaborate on, and it kicks off with my festival, which is the first weekend, which is in Santa Fe. Oh, and then gotcha. throughout the rest of the week, there are, you know, all sorts of different bars and restaurants that participate by featuring their own signature cocktail. We had a Spanish restaurant do a sherry class. Another really kind of fun bar did like a beach party in, the, in their big back area. Uh, so it was fun because different parts of the state, you know, just kind of did their own thing. And so that this is the first year of that format with like the, the follow on of the rest of the week. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. Like, well, how do you get to the point where you're like, I want to start a, a trade show or a festival or whatever you want to call it. Like, first of all, you obviously see a need in the area for something like that. But like, how, like I'm sort of interested in the behind the scenes intricacies about how you even go about developing the idea, starting it out and then executing it. Yeah, well, you know, so in my long career in hospitality, which I'll, I started when I was 15 was my first restaurant job as a busser. You know, and then like followed on throughout the years doing every front of house position imaginable from, you know, cocktail server to performer to manager to, you know, bartender. I've done it all. Mm -hmm. um, and so like at one point, when was it? In the mid 2000s. Well, I should back up. In the 1990s, when I moved out to L.A. to be an actor and a writer and follow my big dream, um, I worked in obviously restaurants and bars. <laughs> and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and at that time, though, I got a job in the publicity department at Miramax Films. Mm. And so I worked um, as an assistant, but I got to work on all of these film premieres and, you know, uh, parties that we were always putting together. And so I got some experience in events there. Oh. And then about 10 years later, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was a restaurant publicist there. And during that time, I was doing restaurant openings, bar launches, pitching the media about, you know, the cool things happening with our accounts, you know, et cetera. And I, and I loved doing the events. That was really fun for me. Also, back in L.A., when I was an aspiring actor, I was also a cater waiter. So I worked on tons and tons of parties. So all of that experience led to, you know, when I moved back to Santa Fe in 2011, 
um, I saw an opportunity, you know, I'd been teaching, I've taught at Tales of the Cocktail and teaching mixology for years. And I, you know, I've taught at Tales of the Cocktail, I've taught in, in Europe, I've taught, you know, around the U.S., I taught at Arizona Cocktail Week, Portland Cocktail Week. And so I thought, gosh, you know, it would be really cool if we had something like that here. Um, I know how to do events. I'm going to do that. So I guess the nuts and bolts of how you start something like that for anyone who's listening is like, I don't have anything like that in my community. I want, you know, whatever cocktail weeks or whatever thing you want to start. It all begins with the funding. So I started off, you know, over the years, I've, I started the Liquid Muse in 20, in 2006. And so since 2006, I, I've built a lot of very strong relationships with liquor companies over the years and working with them in all different capacities. And so I started there, you know, I reached out and, and I have very strong event experience. You know, people knew I wasn't just going to screw around. So I reached out to a lot of clients I'd worked with in the past. And I said, you know, hey, this is what I want to do. Um these are the events I'm going to put together over this weekend. This is how much a sponsor fee would cost. Are you interested in being part of it? And, you know, you have to kind of know your market because I lived in Los Angeles for 17 years. What I could charge for a sponsor fee in Los Angeles is very, very different than what I can charge for a sponsor fee in Santa Fe, which is a much smaller community. Um, So you have to kind of, you know, figure out you have to have some savvy in the sense of kind of really knowing your market, knowing what other festivals charge for sponsor fees, and then sort of basing it accordingly. And then you have to make sure you work your butt off to uh, to organize it properly, to market it properly, to make sure it sells out, to, you know, make it something so that when these liquor companies you know, show up in your community, sometimes flying in from New York or LA or whatever, and fly into your community that they're spending a shit ton of money. Um, you got to make it worth their while. Right. And so that that's where the event shops comes in. So, you know, I, I think that I, I don't do things unless I like, I'm not going to go into an event thinking like, oh gosh, I hope I make enough money to cover my costs. Like that's stupid. That's just bad business. So I always start with funding it first so that even if I don't make a mint, you know, I know I'm not going to lose money or I'm not putting my own money out there, you know, just kind of hoping people are going to buy tickets and show up. So I would say like for people who are thinking about, you know, creating something like that, you really need to create a business plan. I mean, it's not just like, oh, this would be fun. (laughs) Let's do a party. You know, like you need a proper, proper plan with marketing plan, business plan. And that's how you can go and attract a sponsor or multiple. <laughs> multiple sponsors. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't mind me asking, if you don't, you don't feel comfortable answering this, that's totally fine as well. Like what is like an average sponsor fee that we get like for LA and then for New Mexico? Well, I mean, it, it varies so wildly, you know, depending on what an event is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, you know, Arizona Cocktail Week, which is in Phoenix, happens earlier in the year, and they probably charge about three, four times as much money as I do for my Santa Fe events. Right. So my 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 largest my large so in my weekend festival, which kicks off Cocktail Week, my big opening party is Taco Wars. Taco Wars is an event that I created. It's a taco competition. It's also cocktails. I also raise money for animal rescue through uh, my event, um, and so. 
for a brand just to have a table at Taco Wars, it's, you know, about between twelve and thirteen hundred dollars, which is not a lot of money, really, you know. But because because I'm, you know, I'm I what I am delivering to them is all of the marketing leading up to it. I'm delivering the cut the consumers because my, mm-hmm. my events are very consumer focused. Obviously, I hope trade comes too, and trade does come, but I have always been really trying to my 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 niche is really bringing consumers into the world of mixology. And so that's also very appealing to, uh, you know, to liquor brands because you have Tales of the Cocktail, which is all bartender focused or those kind of events. My events are very much consumer focused. That's what I do. That's what I do well. And that's That's smart. That's smart, because like you said, almost all of the other trade shows or festivals that you go to are very focused on industry uh like attracting people from the industry right whereas like we already know the brands we don't really (laughs) they don't need to be marketed to us right like but if you're doing it if you're doing it to the consumer now you're bringing in a whole new group of people who are maybe not as familiar with some of the specialty liquor brands that we we people in the industry might already know about well, yeah, I, the thing is, everyone has their specialty in their niche. You know, there's definitely a need for events that are catering to the industry, to bartenders, oh, sure. to, you know, to that, to that crowd. You know, I, you have to know your own strengths. And I have been talking to consumers since 2006. That's where I began the Liquid News as a cocktail blog. You know, my that, that's where my books came from. That's where all the liquor brands I've worked with, you know, as clients over the years, that's why they've hired me. Cause I'm a girl, you know, mm. that was really like early on. It was so funny in 2006. I was one of the few females actually blogging about mixology back then. Like there really was hardly, first of all, there weren't that many blogs in 2006. There yeah. also, you know, mixology was kind of a new thing um, or, you know, talked about in that way. And there were very few females in that space. And it was just kind of like, I was interested in it. I started writing about it and kind of writing for other people that, Oh, Hey, I learned this. And now I'm going to share this with you in, you know, in my blog. Um, and that that's where it began. And the people who were following my blog were really just like everyday people who were really just interested in, in learning about cocktails. And so I know that's what I'm good at. I don't personally, I mean, I've done some bartender trainings. And like I said, I've taught at some of the, like, you know, the tales in Portland and those kind of events. But really what I'm best at is talking to consumers and my events are very consumer, you know, friendly, consumer driven, consumer focused. That's just what I do well, you know, so there might be other people out there who do that well and want to get into that space, you know, and other people who are like, I'm a bartender. I know how to talk to bartenders. I know what bartenders like and they should focus on that, you know, but there's there's a space for everybody. And so as as someone who's sort of done both sides of that now, like doing all the teaching you've done at festivals and um, at at cocktail competitions, whatever, and then doing your own festival, which is more consumer focused, what is, how would you say, I'm trying to figure out the right way to ask this, but like, what's the difference in how to market your uh, teaching slash um, festival, whatever, to the different crowds? Like, how does your approach, how does your approach different between marketing strictly to an industry crowd or to a consumer crowd? You have to know your audience. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the kind of seminars that would be interesting to a bartender are different than the kind of seminars that are interesting to a consumer, right? So, like, so even when I have people like Dale DeGroff flying in, you know, who's a very good friend of mine and came since the very first year, not this year. But, you know, when he's flying in, most consumers have no clue who he is. Right. You know, even every bartender on the planet is like, yeah. you know, 
Dale. Yeah, and so, did you know who Dale DeGraff was before we started this? No, no, right. So that's exactly right. Okay. So of course, and of course, I did right because I'm I'm yeah. more from the industry. Dan has has worked in the industry a little bit, but definitely not his main focus. So, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so you know, so to answer your question, like the way you market Dale DeGraff to a bartender is very different than how you market him to a consumer because what you're, what you're doing when you're talking to consumers is you're bringing again, what I love to do and what I have always done at the liquid muse is bring people into that world. Mm -hmm. So you're marketing it as, Oh, there's this person. He's an expert. We have to kind of explain a little bit. So people know what they're in for. Um, you know, whereas with bartenders, like, Hey, Dale DeGroff's coming. Like, Oh my God, I can't wait. I'm going to come to that. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, but but that's good though, because then you're appealing to both crowds at the same time. And I think that that's how you're like. Obviously, if you can mark, if you can find a festival that um, markets itself to industry types, but also consumer types, that's when you've really landed on something. It's hard to do both. I'll be yeah. honest, because again, like so, like even when we have when I have the brand ambassadors flying in, you know, from anywhere, you know, around the country, U.S. country, um, they. That sometimes the seminars that they want to do, I know are going to be over the heads of my mm-hmm. audience. And so, you know, because if they're going to get into something that's way too technical or way too specific or way too scientific, the average consumer is like, this is boring, you right. know, or I, I don't care about this. I don't understand this. I don't need to know this. What they want to know is how do you make the best freaking margarita or whatever, you right. know, like it's yeah. something that's very applicable to them. So again, it's sort of like my job as someone who has, you know, my own festival is to, you know, guide my speakers and brand ambassadors coming to town, give them a sense of, you know, this is, these are the kind of people who are going to show up. So you need to gear it toward, you know, it's not dumbing it down. It's just talking in a different way, maybe about Mm -hmm. the same topic, you know, and it's, you know, just sort of like giving people what, what interests them. Right. What's the average ticket price for your festival? They're very reasonable, to be honest, because a lot of the brand ambassadors who are teaching, like, so the 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 seminars that are a little bit more advanced is the same level of seminar that they would teach at Tales, and you'd pay like eighty five dollars to go to or something. Um, and I charge for my seminars; I just charge thirty five because okay. I want people to come. And honestly, if somebody's a bartender, I let them come for free. I don't care. Like I'm, I want, I want the industry people to get educated. I want them to get inspired. You know, it makes me happy to see uh, bartenders I know in the audience. So I'm not worried about trying to get thirty five bucks from the bartenders. I want them just to show up. And then for the for the consumers, the kind of consumers who come to my events, typically, you know, I produce James Beard dinners. I produce, you know, fancy, you know, wine dinners and, you know, kind of higher end events. So those consumers, I know that they have the money to pay 35 bucks for them. They're like, sure, I, of course, you know, for me, that's like no big deal. So so it's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm very interested in the nuts and bolts of this whole operation. So I hope you don't yeah, mind yeah. if we focus on this a little bit more. No, but- no, go for it. Like, okay, so now you got it. You've you've decided you've got your funding. You decided kind of what you want to do, sort of the different nights that you want to have, the different seminars that you want to host. Then you got to deal with the city and find a location and all that stuff, right? So talk to us a little bit about that process. You start with that. You, you, oh, you okay. start with your yeah, like so so basically, like I my festival I work on for a good six, seven, eight months before right. it happens. Like you, you don't just pull that together, you know, in a few weeks. So I start with the venue because there that's a cost, you know, that's going to have to be covered. 
or if you have something of value that the venue wants. So for example, you know, sometimes you can trade, you know, something like what, whatever it is that they might want. Um, if you don't have the money to pay the venue. So yeah. So when you're starting a festival, you first of all need to, if you're, if you're brand new, I would say, keep it small and keep it simple when you're starting out. Don't try to go out with a whole week of programming because mm-hmm. that's stupid and insane. Start off with, you know, a couple, a few events. Like when I started mine, I had taco, I, I put taco wars in, uh, later, but I started off with, um, the chef and shaker challenge where I got some chefs involved. So I went around. Now you have to have some relationships in your community, you know, kind of flip the idea around, see if people are interested in this idea. So then you want to get uh pricing for your venue. You do have to talk to your city in the U S liquor laws are ridiculous and they vary from state to state. New Mexico has a lot of complicated bullshit that you have to go through to even put on an alcohol event, not to mention the amount of insane liability um, that comes with serving alcohol. And the U.S. is just crazy in so many ways. And of course, no one under 21 can be there, which means I'm also hiring a shit ton of security. Every single person that comes into my event, whether they are you know, 21 or 91 must have their ID on their person. And if they do not, I will turn them away Mm. because I'm following all the laws. The first year of my festival, I went to the department, the government like building that handles here. It's lumped to alcohol is lumped together with tobacco and firearms. So I went to that department, you know, I don't know if that's the same in Canada, but I went to that department (laughs) You mean you don't criminalize alcohol in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, crazy you know, down here. They do their best in Ontario, to be yeah. honest with you. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a, you know land of the free. Yeah, yeah. right. You know. Anyway, so um, so, so I went down to that governmental building and I met with the head of that department and I sat in front. At the time, it was a woman running that, and I sat across from her, her and I said, "This is what I want to do." Tell me every way I can get in trouble legally so that I can avoid it. Like, I want to know all the rules and regulations. And there was a lot more to it than I expected. Um, You have to get insurance, event insurance. You know, if you look into that kind of nuts and bolts. Um, And then you have staffing. So, you know, some events run on volunteers only. I personally don't love that because, you know, I do have some volunteers and then I have some paid back of house staff and the paid back of house staff. I pay them well. They're professional bartenders because I need people who know how to batch. I need people who know, you know, what a drink should look like. Like I need professionals to really, really run back of house. I get volunteers for things like check-in table, you know, cause like you don't have to have a lot of technical experience to do something like that. I think some people make a mistake and try to get like, Oh, I'm going to get all my buddies to come and do this for free. You know, I think you have to be a little bit careful with that because number one, I think professionals deserve to be paid. Secondly, people aren't going to take it as seriously. Like, oh man, sorry, you know, this thing came up. Uh, I'm not going to be able to make it. You know, well, and and it's so also I, hard to like give someone shit if they're working for free, right? Totally. Like, <laughs> like this is totally. not to, this is not to the level that I expect. Well, they're like, well, fucking, I'm doing it for free. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally, totally, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so the kind of things that you need to be thinking about is venue. You have to be thinking about security. You have to think about insurance. Yeah. I mean, all the non-glamorous stuff, right? You got to think about staffing and then you have to, then, you know, when you're working with the brands, because, you know, like the sponsors that I have in my event is like Beam Centauri, Bacardi, 
uh, William Grant and Sons, you know, big, big companies who are flying in and spending a lot of money to come here. So then I also have to be very, I mean, I communicate with them a shit ton leading up to the event because I want to make sure that, you know, they're sending in POS. They want to decorate their table. They're going to be sending in whatever. So you're coordinating, like, not only just, oh, the brand ambassador is going to come in and give a talk. You're also kind of helping them. You know, they, they're relying on you to make sure that you are going to provide, you know, what they need to provide the experience they want to provide. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's that, too, you know. That, it's crazy. I can't, like, when you say, like, six to eight months work, that, I mean, that seems... I was almost expecting that it might even be longer than that because of how much, like, I just know even trying to open a bar, how fucking long that takes, right? Like to get all all your ducks in a row, get everything in order, get all the sign-offs that you need. So, so basically you get this, you pull this thing off and then you take a couple months break and then just start working on it again. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to say break. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I know you're doing your right. I mean, a break just from the festival. Oh, from the festival. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I, I take like three days where I, I take at least two days when it's over and I don't talk to anyone. Cause like, yeah. cause you have all of this like months and months of stress because of course, just like opening a bar or anything, you think you have all your ducks in a row and then they freaking throw something at yeah. you. Like and this year, well, Usually something completely out of your control, right? Like, th- yeah. yes. Yeah. So this year, so, and you're also of course dealing with distributors and like, you know, getting the product where it needs to go. Cause it, you know, here it's illegal for someone from like Beam Suntory to be like, hi, I'm here to teach my seminar. Here's my case of liquor. That's completely illegal. So it has to go like through the distributor and then it has to come delivered to the venue and the venue has to have a certain kind of liquor license. And so in the past, it was a little simpler because I could say that, let's just say Beam Suntory as a, as an example, Hey guys, you know, Bobby G's flying in to teach his seminar. Really excited. So in addition to paying your sponsor fee for this, particular event um you also have to provide the alcohol so in the past it they would that through the chain of command they would tell their distributor um okay take you know a case of whatever maker's mark down to x place and they would deliver it with a zero invoice which means that they're just like you know i'm not paying for it it's just coming there and so everybody's they're like samples right so everyone's happy blah 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 this year things have changed i even though I personally, know, it was really screwy and this is probably not even legal. So I, I don't know, say it on your podcast just to share like the nightmare of the bullshit I had to put up with. So this year I had to, so I have, I have nine events going over four days. Right. And they're all like, each one is like a, a lot of work. Yeah. And so I had some happening at the convention center. I had talk awards happening there. Then I had seminars happening in a different location. Each of those places had to have a certain kind of liquor license. And then, you know, they have to be delivered there. So I have to set all that shit up. And then this year, there are both Southern Glacier Wine and Spirits and RNDC, which are two big, big distributors in the U.S. They're in most states. Oh, guess what? Um, You're going to have to pay for the liquor up front. And I'm like, Ooh. say what now? Mm. And so I, but I can't really do that. The venue has to do it. So then I had to go to my venues and be like, so guys, um, you're going to have to pay for this, you know, 
$10,000 worth of liquor up yeah. front. And then I'm going to pay I'm you gonna and pay they're going to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to, yeah. And then yeah. I'm going to pay you. And then they, I, then I have to ask them to reimburse me. And this yeah. was a level of bullshit that nobody liked. How do you go to the venue? Like, Hey, can you guys cough up 10 grand? Just, you know, front that and I'll pay you back after they're like, what? <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, a nightmare and I'm still, I'm still, waiting to get paid back from some of the companies because, you know, getting reimbursed after the fact takes a while sometimes. So I'm out. I was out as a bunch of money, you know, it was crazy. And like, you know, I, mean, I made money, but sure. you know, but, but it's but massive, the front a lot. Yeah. And it's mass, which is stressful no matter what. Right. Like, I, I, obviously we've all been, especially opening bars, like there's lots of money I have to front all the time and just in hopes that I get it back. When you're dealing with massive liquor brands, you, you're pretty confident you're probably going to get it back. But still, that is a stress. Like, Well, and it was unexpected, you yeah. know, so like, OK, you know, so that was crazy. Then there's things like generators, you know, because different venues, of course, have different, you know, situations. And um, at the convention center, they're like, oh, okay, you have 13 chefs coming to make tacos. Yeah, um, that that's going to blow all of our fuses. You have to rent generators. So then it's like scurrying around finding the right, but they will only take this kind of generator and not that kind of generator. Right. And, yeah. You know, all of that, all of that, all the madness. The so thing I always think about, like, kind of what you do and sort of what I do as well is, like, you end up learning a lot about shit you never wanted to learn about. <laughs> <laughs> the non-fun stuff yeah it's like i didn't i never gave a fuck about a fuse before exactly 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 uh, yeah. so, so when you do when the festival finally winds down you get a couple days to maybe decompress or whatever and then you're back to your like real life work which is traveling around and teaching at all these cocktails uh competitions festivals whatever right like so. I'm doing a bit less of that stuff. So I, I do a few things at the Liquid Muse now. So I do event production, which obviously I have my festival. I also uh, work as a culinary producer for the James Beard Foundation. Right. And I, yeah. I oversee um, dinners around the country for the Taste America dinner series, which is really cool. There's like a really fun client. Um, I don't always travel to all the dinners, but I'm kind of like this on Zoom, guiding the, yeah. the producer in each city and, you know, helping them set up the dinners with their chef. And, um, and just, and just for I, our listeners, what is Taste America? What is that about? So so the James Beard, do you guys know the James Beard Foundation? I know the James Beard Foundation, but I'm not familiar with the Taste America thing. Okay. Oh, so so the James Beard Foundation, they, they have a lot of different ways that they raise money. And so one of them is the Taste America Dinner Series where every year they choose 20 cities where they're going to do the special fundraising dinner. And um, I did one in Santa Fe a couple of years ago, which is how I kind of like started working with them. And I'm doing one in Santa Fe again this year on November 8th, which will be really fun. Um, but they, so, so this year we have 20 cities, cities like uh, some, like some small ones like Santa Fe, Kansas city, and then big ones like Miami, Boston, New York, you know, so we have all these different kind of things. Each one has the host chef who is, hosting the dinner in his or her restaurant. And then each one has a traveling guest chef. And so everyone who hosts will also get to go be a guest chef somewhere. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. It mm. really, it creates such a great community. Everyone just flew to New York last uh, week 
for the kickoff party. And I was supposed to go, but the weather was so crap and flights were canceled left and right. And I was like, I'm just going for two days. I don't really have to be there. So I decided not to go. Um, I didn't, it wasn't necessary because I talked to all these people on Zooms all the time anyway. Um, but it was cool for the chefs because they all were there. You know, they were doing media all day long and then they had a party that night. They all got to meet in person the chef that they're going to either travel to or have traveled to them. So it's this wonderful, like warm and fuzzy kind of community building uh, in the chef world, which I think is just fucking cool. Yeah, that is fucking cool. And like, how did you like, so is this just because of like your long career in organizing events and all the teaching you did and, and the publicity work you did, you just keep making connections. And now all of a sudden, you're like the go to person for people to come to for this stuff. Well, I it's, you know, it's funny, I, I mean, people come to me, you know, like, like that opportunity, they is the, the, the woman who owns the marketing company who like does the dinner part for this whole James Beard thing. And they also produce the James Beard Awards. You know, she had reached out to me a couple of years ago and she was like, Hey, um, I, you know, hear that you're the person to produce our, you know, taste America dinner in Santa Fe. Are you interested? You want to send me a proposal? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm interested. And by the way, I'm going to make the best damn proposal you've ever seen. Cause I really want to do this. And so, um, so she hired me for that. And so, and that dinner went flawlessly. And I, that's not just me. I did it at a restaurant where I know the service is impeccable, where I know the team is the right team. I knew the chef was the right chef. Like, you know, I really chose well. And that made it between them being wonderful and then, you know, the the event, you know, background that I have, like together, we had a flawless event and they were, we exceeded their expectations, I think. So then I just got really lucky because the, the, the James Beard, because at every dinner, someone from the foundation goes and attends the dinner. And so the lady who came to our dinner went back and raved about it. And so that's why they were looking to like add someone to their team. And so then they reached out to me like, hey, heard it went great. You want to help us with some other ones? And I'm like, what? Yes, please. So uh that's. Well, yeah, like on, the the main the main thing that you do is that you do everything really well and you put everything into it, obviously. So that's why you keep getting the work. But I kind of feel like you're like such a testament to like work in this industry because you've done so many different things that are all industry related. Is would you say part of it's just like kind of not saying no to anything? <laughs> yeah, I think, yes, I, I think I, I'm learning to say no to things now because yeah. <laughs> you need some time. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just sort of like. Oh, something new? Cool, because I get bored really easily. So, yeah. like, oh, I have this new opportunity. I, can I do it? Sure. Fuck. If someone else can do it, I can do it. I can figure it out. Like, I'll make it work. And then I just make sure I make it awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everything I do is awesome. I'm sure I fucked up on lots of stuff, but I. But really that's how you learn too, right? Like, so yeah. <laughs> but I work really, really, really hard. And the thing I'm also not afraid to ask, you know, people, you know, like, hey. uh, you know, collaborate with people that are really good or learn from other people or share knowledge back and forth. That's how we all get better. Yeah. Uh, but like if someone comes to you with an idea, you because I have the same, I don't know if it's a problem or a solution. We'll, we'll, we can discuss that with our therapist. But like I have that same thing where it's like if somebody comes to me with an eye, like I don't turn down meetings because they, they might, some of them, a lot of them end up being a waste of your time. But, you know, like three out of 10 end up leading to something really cool that you do. And I have a real hard time saying like, if, if somebody comes to me with a cool idea that I don't have time to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. 
Totally. I've also been trying to do this thing. Like, so, so a friend of mine who lives here in Santa Fe, she's a writer and she wrote this book called You Are a Badass. Her name is Jen Sincero and she, she is a super badass. Um, and her book's really successful and she, you know, whatever. And so one of the things in her book, and I didn't know who she was actually till I met her and I'm like, Oh, she's cool. I'm going to read her book. And I'm like, Oh my God, this book's amazing. Um, and then I realized, Oh wow, she's really famous. I had no idea. <laughs> but, <laughs> But um, but she has this mantra in the book where it's like, you know, money comes to me easily and freely. Money comes to me easily and freely. And I and I love this man. And it's so weird. It's because it actually works. It's so weird. Like whenever I have a lull, which is rare because I'm always busy. But whenever I have a lull and I'm like, I have a bit of a lull because oh, ultimately I'm a freelancer, right? You work right. for yourself. Yeah, you don't have like a quote unquote job. I mean, yeah, well, I don't have anyone else giving yeah. me a salary. Yeah, like, I yeah, got yeah. to figure shit You're out, hustling. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so, so this last weekend, I'm like, okay, I, have, I mean, I'm about to start working on a new book, but, you know, but that's a little ways off. And so I was like, oh, okay, money comes to me easily and freely. And like within two days, I got offered to write two different magazine articles about alcohol, obviously. And so, but, I turned them both down because because I, at first I was excited, but then I was like, wait, these are both paying super shitty money. Like, like they could pay an, an intern this money. And I, I don't take it. I'm not like, oh, I'm insulted. It's just that that's not right for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I need to, I, I was like, wow, I thought I was going to have a little free time in July. If I do these, like one was writing an article about Mescal. Well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to make sure I'm like, I mean, I know a lot about Mescal, but I'm not going to write an article without further research. Unless you know everything about it. Checking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure it's really good because that's my name out there. And I don't want people to be like, she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. So I will make sure it's good. That will require a whole lot of work. I'm going to pay 150 bucks. I'm like, honey, yeah. honey. Like, no. So I didn't say it like that. I just thank you so much. You know, the, honestly, the pay is not compelling enough for me to make the time to do that. Right. Um, and so then I worked on the mantra and I'm sharing this because I think it's just helpful for everyone in the world. So then I, I got, I'm like, I'm going to be very specific about my mantra. I was just saying money comes to me freely and easily. What I want to say is thousands of dollars comes to me. easily, <laughs> and, easily. and I did it. I shit you not. I did that. And it was, I think it was the very next day. This is all just this past week. I got an email from a client I'd had in the past and they were like, I I do recipe development for liquor brands as well. And so she wrote to me and she's like, I have two new liquor brands. Um, They each need uh, six recipes. And, you know, I told her, you know, with my rates, it's a few thousand dollars. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) Like, it's so crazy. But I think that this, I, and and honestly, like it'll take me probably the same amount of time to do those recipes that it would have taken right. like that article, the Mescal article for 150 bucks. But part of that too is like valuing yourself properly, right? Like because like you say, you're not trying to be a snob about 150 bucks, but you need to value yourself at a certain rate, otherwise you're going to be devalued. I think that 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 that's all part and parcel, and this whole notion of like positive thinking, I've gotten my head way more around lately too, because if you're constantly just worried and stressed about everything, then things tend to go badly. I totally agree. And I think that there's a way to, to, to say, like, I'm just, I, I guess, you know, back to like what I was trying mm. to say with that whole example was like, I'm trying to say no to more things now and right. just be like, you know, cause I, cause I'm always like, sure, I'll do this. Sure. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. And then I'm like, okay, 
who am I? Like, I what I'm having an identity crisis. Like, what is it? Because people <laughs> say to me, "Well, what is the liquid muse?" And I'm like, "Well, I this big long yeah. laundry list of things, yeah. you know." And I'm like, "No, I'm an event producer. I'm a writer. I'm a teacher, and and I oh, and I co-founded an organic chocolate liqueur, Ohm chocolate right. liqueur. And so I'm like, that's enough. Like, I I don't need to be doing everything else, you know. So I'm really trying to focus more on the things that give get me super excited. My festival gets me excited. Taco Wars. I'm in a legal battle because this jerk in Louisiana is trying to steal Taco Wars and he won't. I have a federal trademark and he just ignores it. So whatever. But Taco Wars is something I'm very uh, passionate about. It's really fun. I raise money for animal shelters with it. Um, I like writing my books. I love, but I'm actually, my next book is not a cocktail book, which I'm also really excited about. I need to like explore new arenas. I've written five cocktail books. I don't really want to write another one. I'll be honest. On that I'm topic, that. though, just because <laughs> you've given us a lot of time, we really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I do have a dog and a cat. So I need oh. to know what I need to be drinking with these animals. <laughs> yes. so if you give, me one, give me one suggestion from each book, and then we can tell our listeners how to buy these books. And, and explain the concept behind them. <laughs> Thank you for letting me talk about the books. Yeah. So drinking, like I said, I was kind of done with writing cocktail books. I'm like, I have nothing else to say here. But I'm I'm a huge animal advocate. I have three foster puppies right now. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I'll, this drinking with my dog I had in my mind for a while, the Canine Lovers Cocktail Book. Uh, whenever I do a book signing event, that book came out in January. And I've done events now in like LA, Phoenix. Uh, Austin. I'm doing one in Santa Fe. I'm going to keep traveling. It just came out in England. So I'm going to go do one in London, hopefully later this winter. Um, and every time I do a, a book signing event, I'm raising money for a rescue in that country and uh, in that, uh, that city. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so, so drinking with my dog w- was inspired by my dog during the pandemic who I was drinking with. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And her, so her name is Lula. She came from the shelter that I am fostering for right now, Española Shelter, a teeny little shelter in northern New Mexico, in the middle of nowhere. So the drink I made for her, my favorite cocktail is Manhattan. That's how I judge every bartender and every bar I ever go to. Me it's too. Really? Yep. <laughs> All right. So, you know, one day when we meet, we have to make each other in Manhattan. That's see? right. Well, I've I've sort of switched to the Black Manhattan as my actual favorite, but for my tester for bartenders, if I go to a cocktail bar and I'm like, can these guys make cocktails wherever? I always say Manhattan, like so. That's Same. funny. Yeah, I'm like, if they're shaking it, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, or, yeah. Or, they don't, they, whatever. Anyway, so so then of course I have my chocolate liqueur. So I like to I actually on my my twist of my Manhattan. So this one's called the Brown Eyed Girl in honor of my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I use, uh, for this, so normally I would use rye cause I'm kind of a traditionalist that way. But for this one, I'm like, you could use rye or bourbon. And then I use a little bit of my chocolate liqueur. And then instead of uh sweet vermouth, I use a little bit of port and chocolate bitters. Oh, that and sounds it delicious. Is so good. And then mm-hmm. you garnish with a chocolate covered cherry. So yeah. that's, that, that's the ones from drinking with my dog that, um, you know, I hope people might enjoy. And then my, Cat book, Cocktails with My Cat, Tasty Tipples for Feline Fanatics. That <laughs> comes out in the spring. And I am a cat lady. I have five uh, oh, because wow. I fostered and kept keeping them. And then I'm like, you're not supposed to keep them when you foster. It's <laughs> hard, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then I stopped fostering for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so that one, I don't remember. I think 
Probably the most interesting thing, I well, for an everyday consumer, uh, my books are very much written for consumers, is at the end of each book, I have a section there like, okay, you know, first chapter is how to set up your own home bar. These are the kind of spirits you should buy. These are the kind of glassware, you know, you should look for. This is, you know, is ice and garnishes and all that bar tools, all that fun stuff to set up your ho- own home bar. Then we go through all the chapters and stories. And then at the very end, it's like, well, now you've learned all this stuff. It's time for you to create a signature cocktail in honor of your dog or cat. All right. And so I think that that's the most fun part. And I just, you know, kind of give them all the little guidelines, like go with a classic cocktail that you really like and then swap out like for like, like I, yeah. did, I do with Brown Night Girl, you know, yeah. I swap out <laughs> for sweet vermouth, you know, whatever. And so, it's, all, it's how all cocktails ever got created. So Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Natalie, this has been super fascinating to talk to you. You like, I, like we could talk to you for hours, honestly, because like you do so much. So it's crazy. I don't know how you f- I found the time to do this with us, but we really appreciate it. And before you go, tell our all our listeners where they can follow you, where they can find the Liquid Muse, uh, and where they can follow what you're doing, because I'm sure it's going to be something new tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to come visit your bars. By the way, oh Sometimes great, that, that would be I awesome. Really, yeah, I would really, yeah, really, I would love, love that. really, really. It's on my it's on my list to see more of Canada. I've only been to Montreal, which is ridiculous because I travel yeah. a lot. And that's I, the best. That's the best spot. So you you pick the right one. <laughs> well, I can't wait to come visit your yeah. bar someday. Um, if people want to check check in with me, go to the Liquid Muse M U S E dot com, and on Instagram at the Liquid Muse. And um, yeah, that's about it. Well, thanks so much, Natalie. We really appreciate all your time. Thank you're you. you're a fucking powerhouse, and uh, try and find some time to rest. But keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you, thank yeah. you. So nice to meet you guys. I appreciate you having me on. It's really lovely to chat with you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks. Thanks a ton.